At the close of every year, at the, I guess as it's closing, last maybe two or three months, I start seeking the Lord for the next year as to what he's saying thematically and um, what he's saying prophetically uh, to the church. And I try to keep my ear to the ground of the Spirit, what's happening, what's being said by the Spirit of God. And um, uh, an interesting uh, thing took place last year. Uh, he gave me a word about um, how that 2022 wasn't a popular word, but it was one that I think that you received and we did well with, and that is that it was going to be a time of testing. If you look at Genesis 22, you look at Revelations 22, you look at Psalms 22, uh, it really talks about that period of testing, but that we wouldn't have to worry because the bottom line was that we've been prepared for the test. The teacher, who is Christ, uh, our, our example, has taught us well, right? And that we were going to do well. And I believe that, that we passed that test as a church. Uh, thank God it was on the learning curve. Hallelujah. The test was on the curve. Some of y'all didn't do as good as the others, but we're going to pull everybody through in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was a good year for us for that. Um, and I believe that the Lord has shown me uh, two different streams that he desires to happen this year. Uh, by the way, um, as we prepare for these things that God's saying and doing, uh, he will reward us by, by putting his blessing on us. You know, you should never say, God bless what I'm doing. You should always have a humble heart and say, God, I want to do what you're blessing. Amen? Because that's the flow. That's where God meets us. That's where um, his intentions are. His purpose and his will and his plan is for all of our lives. So when I'm seeking God... For the next year, I'm always seeking God to know what his plan is, not mine. Mine can go on the back burner. If it matches, that's wonderful. If it doesn't, I really want what God blesses because the blessing is far more important than anything else. You need, everybody say, I need the blessing. Real quick, what is the blessing? The blessing of God is the empowerment of God that he places upon his people. It gives you his might, his ability, his strength to do what you can do. So when we say that God has anointed you, in, in essence, we're saying he's blessed you. He's, he's, he's put an empowerment upon you to do what you couldn't do without him. So we all need the blessing. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a blessing, man. You need the blessing. And that first part that I'm going to speak to this morning is what I would say on an international level um, where I would say it's a word to the body of Christ. Now, why would God give a local pastor a word for the body of Christ. It's very simple because we fit in the plan that God's doing internationally, all around the world, globally. So what's he saying? What's he doing? And then the second part of this message uh, is going to be addressing our church on a local level. I will tell you, it's not a long word today at all. going to get you out of here plenty of time, uh, but I do believe it's very important. A couple months ago, um, as I'm setting this up, I was, I was back here getting ready to walk out. Pastor Robin was saying her things, and then the commercials, I'd walk out. And as I'm walking out, I heard the Lord say this. He said, this year, this was a couple months ago, coming up, this year will be the year of the wild horses. I brought that to your attention. I just said it by faith because I didn't know what God was saying. I said, I've got to investigate this. I've got to develop this and begin to pray about it. And I did. I began to think about it, pray about it, ask the Lord about it, and study it. Isaiah 63 Verse 12 out of the Good News Translation says this. Where is the Lord? And a lot of people have been asking, where is the Lord? What's going on in the world? Even people who don't know God is think, saying, what is going on in the world? Everything that seemed to be normal is not anymore. What's up is down and down is up. It's like, what is going on? Where is the Lord? Who by his power 
did great things through Moses, divided the waters of the sea, and leading his people through the deep water, again, reminding ourselves of his greatness, his ability, what he's able to do, to win an everlasting fame for himself. This thing we live is not supposed to be about you or me. It's about God himself. And he led, he led them by the Lord. In other words, he led his people, led by the Lord. They were as sure-footed as wild horses and never stumbled. Father, today we give you praise and glory for all that you've done, all that you're saying, all that you're doing. This is being broadcast and be watched later today, Lord God, and throughout the weeks to come. We ask that there be an anointing upon all that hear, that they were able to apply these things, Lord God, by faith, no fear, but that the goodness of God would lead them, Lord God, in the right path, I pray. We give you praise and glory, Holy Spirit, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said a big amen. Wild horses, wild ho horses symbolize freedom and adventure. Let me say it again. Wild horses symbolize freedom and adventure. How many is ready to have some adventure in your life? Some real adventure. Well, church, this is going to be a year of freedom and adventure because the more adventurous we become, the more free we realize. You don't realize how free you really are. You are free. You know, you, you're so free, you can go to hell if you want to. Come on, somebody. Think about that. That's how free you are. Isn't that the truth? You can make up your own mind and do what you want. Never think you're locked into something. You're not. The only thing you're really locked into is God's plan. And in God's plan, he always gives you grace, and he always gives you an ability to accomplish. I believe God is saying that we are going to have to begin to move in faith on another level. Everybody say faith. faith. Why? Because faith is an adventure. Faith is an adventure. Why? Because you don't know the outcome. You may not know the outcome, I should say, but you don't, you can't plan for how it's going to happen. Okay? So faith is something that you're you're walking with God. It reminds me of Abraham, who is the father of faith. He's the he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews because he's the one who started this whole thing called the walk of faith because he left all he knew what was comfortable to him, all that he had. He packed it all up and went to a land whose builder, a city, the Bible says, whose builder and maker was God. What does that mean? In other words, it doesn't exist in the natural. It exists in the spirit. All Abraham had to do was get to the place, get to the, the uh, domain where God was sending him. He had to do it and walk by faith. That's not easy when you're of advanced age and, and you got your comfortable place of, of life because the older we get, the more comfortable we want to become. And, and it's not easy to, to walk it out by faith, but God required Abraham to walk by faith and not by sight to look from where he was to the place he was going. Somebody say amen. Abraham was on an Abraham walk Amen, of faith. In fact, he was on a journey, an adventure, because he did not know how he was going to get there. All he was doing was being led by a word from God. I want us this year to get, maybe not even this year, this month, to get our ears perked up, ready to hear what God is saying to each and every one of us. And how do you know it's God when he's asking you to do something that's too big for you, but somehow down in your knower, What's that? Down in your spirit. You just know that that's true and that's where God is taking you. Somebody say amen to that. How many is ready for some adventure? 
That eventually leads to freedom for you to walk the plan of God the way God intended you to walk it out. So we got to get ready for your faith story. Get ready for your faith journey. Get ready for your faith story filled with adventure and freedom. Secondly, wild horses symbolize moving into unchartered territory, riding into unchartered territory because they roam at will. They roam where they want to go, wild horses. So no doubt this will also require faith. Uncharted territory, places where you've never been before, God's requiring for us to go in this new year, this church, as a people and as people, individuals, in our own personal walk with God. He's requiring us to go in these uncharted territories. In other words, you may not be able to have somebody else's plan to help you out. Somebody on the internet can't show you how to do it. I mean, Google has everything, but they may not have the answers for you. In fact, I would say don't Google it. Amen. Just try to hear God. Goggle it. Goggle it. Amen. Now, that's terrible, but I'll, I'll use it. Hallelujah. And, and so it's going to require faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So my proof isn't in the pudding, as they say. My proof is in the reality of what exists in me. My proof is in the word that God spoke to me. My proof is in that. And as long as I'm walking it out as if it exists, that is faith. Faith is substance. It's going for what I'm hoping for. What are you hoping for this new year? What are you hoping for for your families and for your 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 life and for your church and for your city and for your 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 country? What are you hoping God for? Because that is what produces faith and it's evidence of things not seen. Church, I want to declare to you this morning that the things you haven't yet seen are on the horizon for 2023. You shall see in 2023. You shall see the impossible made possible, the hopeless made hopeful, the incredible made credible, and the undoable made done. Somebody say amen. Who's got some faith to see God do it in your life? I said, who's got some faith? Shout like you believe it. Come on. This morning, I want to give you some characteristics of wild horses as it relates to you, as it relates to the word of God. He put this in my spirit. It completely puzzled me. Like, what? I've never heard this before. Maybe somebody else will say it. Don't know. Kind of doubt it. Because he put it in my spirit. I just have never heard it. And so I had to do a little digging. And, um, and there are characteristics that I found that as I studied about wild horses that relate to us scripturally. Number one, wild horses are untamed horses. They have not been domesticated or controlled by men. These are horses that are left to fend for themselves. In some ways that's good, some ways it may be not good. But there's a freedom in that. And, and, and Ford, uh, Mustang, it came up with the, that term Mustang. And it was supposed to be all about adventure and freedom. And, and uh, now we use Mustangs as people, usually in politics we call, well, they're a Mustang politician. In other words, they don't follow the rote of their particular party that they're involved in. They're, they're, they're free and they're not tamed, right? So we, we, we've heard that before. But did you know that Elijah was a wild horse or considered to be like this wild horse, untamed, un, un, uncontrolled. Um, 
The Bible says that he was one of the greatest prophets that ever lived and did incredible miracles. I mean, he saw even the dead to be raised to life again. Um, God would whisk him away in the spirit. He'd be in one place. The next thing you know, he'd be in a, another place, just in a moment's time, translated, if you want to call it that. And um, incredible man of God. And the Bible talks about him being a prophet during the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. How many of you have heard that story before and know those names? And so... One person, hallelujah, two head nods, amen. Read the Bible, hey, it's there, it's there. And, um, and so they were, um, they were uh, in fact, uh, I don't know if we saw it, by the way, if it was in church news or not, about the, uh, is my son back there? He just left, uh, amen. Uh, church news, was it in there, by the way, about the Bibles coming back? We're bringing Bibles back. Not yet, okay, not yet. It's coming, so we're gonna have a date for that because I wanna bring, we're gonna bring the paper Bibles back. The old-fashioned B-I-B-L-E's. Because I don't trust you on that app every day. I just don't trust it. You got to have that Bible right by your nightstand or by your coffee table with a coffee stain on top of it. Amen. And your page is worn out. One guy wrote in his Bible one time, I believe it might have been Lester Sumrall, if the pages of your Bible are worn out, your life won't be. Hallelujah. I like that. Elijah was a great man of God. He had to deal with Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel had a tendency to always want to control through manipulation. And that's the spirit of witchcraft, by the way. And I could go through a litany of things that Jezebel does. I've, I've preached it before. We'll get to it to another time. But Jezebel was someone who controlled from the back seat and told Ahab what he should be doing and should not be doing. And she did it in her way. And so she thought she could also control Elijah. It's one of the things that the spirit of Jezebel, which is still alive today, she's dead and gone, but the spirit of her is still alive today in that sense of that, 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 that principality and that power, wants to always try to control the man of God by manipulation. That's what they do. Um, doesn't have to be a female. Could definitely be a male as well. But it happens. And so this is what happened in his day as well. He, got, he was brave and he was bold. He was a wild man. He was like a wild horse, untamed. He did as he pleased, so to speak. He actually did what God wanted him to do, but it seemed wild to everyone else. He even killed over uh, 300 prophets of Baal, uh, destroyed them, and they were Jezebel's prophets that were prophesying all kinds of lies to Israel, and he, he, he killed them and had a showdown with them and the whole deal, and, and Jezebel manipulated and sent word to him to control him and said, by this time tomorrow, you'll be like one of my prophets, dead. And he did run for his life for a season. He had to get it back together again because that thing can hit you right in your gut, try to control you and shut you down. Never allow some other person to shut you down. Come on, somebody. Let them give direction, but not manipulation and control. That's a whole different thing. And so, of course, we know that he did, the, the, the Spirit of God was upon him once again, and he overcame. Church, we need some believers that will not allow themselves to be manipulated and controlled, even by the people they love and respect. Number two, wild horses have not been abused by men. You know, a lot of times when a, when a horse is brought in, they would use the term, they have to break that horse. He has to be broken in. And sometimes uh, you have a good trainer that treats the, the animal with respect and, and some kindness. They may have to be tough with them to get them to do what they want, but there's, there's definitely some love and some protection there. And you have other trainers that could care less about the horse, and they beat the horse. 
or they starve that horse or whatever, but they, they abuse, people abuse animals. I'm going to tell you, that's a demonic thing, by the way. That's a demonic. When you, when, you, when you abuse an animal, there's something wrong with you, praise God. Amen. Not alone, not alone another human being. But David was, David was like a wild horse himself, very hard to control him. In fact, when Jesse brought all of his sons into the house, David was out keeping the sheep for his father out in the wilderness because that was his place of being comfortable, away from everybody else, taking care of his duties, but yet being on his own in the wild. He was wild. But one day when there was a war that was going on with the Philistines, all the sons were sent to war. And David was left, as he was a young man, so he wasn't old enough to go to war. And he was left there, and the father said, here, take these, these lunches to our, 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 your brothers, my sons, and see how they're doing and bring back word to me. So he takes the lunches to, to the front of the war. He gets there, of course, on one side of the Philistines, there's a valley, on the other side are the armies of God. And um, there's a giant hurling accusations in the valley toward Israel and saying, bring your best, bring your toughest, and if I defeat him, you will bow your knee to us and serve us. If he defeats me, we'll bow our knee and serve you. And they knew that nobody could beat him. They knew that he was a champion among champions. This guy was probably, 15, uh, not 15, about 12 to 13 feet tall. Um, his sword alone weighed 150 pounds. He was a massive, massive man, and it was a, a new war from his youth. And so everybody's shaking their boots, including King Saul, right? But David comes by, and David says, give me a shot at him, and and he goes and picks out five smooth stones and takes out this giant with one stone. Hit him in probably the only vulnerable place in his body, which was the forehead. Knocked him down. And he went and took his own sword from him and cut his head off. There's a powerful, powerful victory. He kills Goliath. And as a result of that, he gets to marry into the family of the king. This is how the king is introduced to David. And David comes and there is this thing with Saul that loves David and hates David. And the reason why he hates David and begins to abuse David is because of his outright jealousy of who David was. Every time they come back from battle, yes, they would hail King King Saul. They would say, hail King Saul. He's killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. Well, this raked on him. He couldn't stand it. And even there was points of time when that David would play a harp that Saul would take a javelin and throw it, thrust it to kill David to the point where David had to run for his life. Why? Because of the abuse. You couldn't, you couldn't hold him down. In fact, David was so wild, so radical, that even um, David decided to live amongst his enemies, the Bible said, with the Philistines. He went in with a, with, a, with a false identity, and he went in and lived amongst them for a season of his life just so he would not be controlled by King Saul. We need some believers that won't allow themselves to be abused and then become victims of their circumstances. We got to get this victimization out of the body of Christ. This woe is me. You as a believer of God are not a victim in any way, shape, or form. In fact, you are a victor in every area of your life because the greater one lives in you. Somebody say amen. Then quit acting like a victim. Well, you just don't know my trouble. I know I don't. Jesus does. You want to talk about a bad day, follow him. 
Let God give you a time machine and take you back to Calvary 2,000 years ago and tell me you've been victimized. Some of you need to get free. Some are using three, four, five generations back and you're acting like you're the victim of it. You're not. You have been set free. And the quicker you remember that, the quicker your life becomes successful. Nothing can hold you back. I don't care what they told you. I don't care what's been preached to you. It's a lie of the pit of hell to keep you in a particular place that you'll never be set free. You've already been set free. Someone's got to say it. Number three, wild horses have not Wild horses have not been spoiled by men. Wild horses have not been spoiled by men. You know, horses, when you spoil them with sugar and apples and they can nip at you and you don't correct them and, and, they, and, they, and they, they, they buck you and they kick at you and you don't bring any correction. I'm talking about a domesticated situation. They'll throw, a tem- a, a, what do they call them? Temper tantrums. They'll do it. It's one thing when you got a, 25 pound on a floor throwing one versus a thousand pound one. Come on, somebody say amen. It could kill you and they do, it will kill you, right? Yeah, it, it, you have to be careful of that. Samuel, Samuel, who would become the greatest prophet, was a wild horse, greatest of his day, I should say, was a wild horse. You know, you think about it, you don't think about it sometimes that, that Samuel was given up by his mother. Remember, she promised the Lord, if you give me pregnant, I'll, I'll, I'll let my son, I'll give him to you. He'll serve you all your life. I just want you to open my womb. And he, did, he does. And she gives him to Eli to serve in the house of God all his life. Maybe there was a span of time where she was able to visit or whatever while he was still an infant. But the rest of his life, he could have ever suffered the rejection of his mother giving him up to this man named Eli who already who was a priest who already had two sons that we know of for sure. And Samuel's being raised not only by Eli, but Samuel, thank God, was being raised by God because we know that he heard the voice of God to the point where it shocked Eli. He goes, maybe he is hearing God's voice because he kept thinking, Eli, are you calling me? And he said, I'm not calling you. Quit waking me up. But I hear you call my name. Finally, he had some wisdom. Maybe that's God. Next time he says, he calls your name, say, Lord, here am I. And he does, and God speaks to Samuel as a child. He's learning the the ways of God and how he should live his life as a child from God the Father, not from Eli, his natural father, even though he was not biological. Well, Eli has a tendency to spoil his children. He did not bring correction to his kids. I don't know what his deal was. He didn't believe in that somehow. He allowed his his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to do whatever they pleased and then made them priests in the house of God. These guys were stealing the money. The Bible says they were stealing the money out of the house of God. These guys were having sex with prostitutes in the doors of the temple, the Bible says. Right in the lobby. This is terrible, obviously. 
And it's almost like God allowed it to happen for a while, but he doesn't allow it to happen. But there's always mercy with God, even in the Old Testament, to get things right. And they wouldn't listen. They would not obey. I'm sure Eli said this is wrong, but he never took correction with them. He spoiled them rotten. And the Bible says the day came that both of those sons were killed. They died as a result of it. Church, we need some believers that refuse to become comfortable with sin and become spoiled little brats in the body of Christ. Somebody say amen. My wife called them earlier lazy Christians. No, they're spoiled little brats is what they are. They want their way and they're going to throw a tantrum if they don't get their way and they're going to keep doing what they want to do until there's judgment that happens. And so my wife said something. She said it and I believe, I don't understand what she's saying, but I'm not doing it. She said, we're going after those lazy ones. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going after the hungry, the thirsty, the ones who are ready to give their life for Jesus. I'm not, I'm not wasting my time with a lazy bunch. I got a half an amen from y'all because y'all know either you're the lazy one or you know five, five of them in your family. I can't help it. They'll disappoint you. I'm going after those that have a heart for God, that want God, or don't know him at all. Better yet. Number four. Everybody say, I'm a wild horse. Wild. Wild horses, number four, have not been taught to fear by men. Esther was a wild horse. I'm gonna go quicker this now. I'm gonna keep moving. Esther, we know, was an incredible woman. She happened to be very beautiful, and, but she wasn't stupid. She knew what she was, and she knew that that would give her ability to have audience with the king because the king wanted her as a wife. But in fact, she was a part of a concubine. In other words, there were many wives. She was just another beautiful woman. That's all she was, really. But she fared more than the rest, probably, because the Bible says that she got audience with the king, and she walks into the court of the king, right up to the king, and begins to talk to her. Well, you don't do that. You have to understand what it meant in history. That was disrespect, and it would cost you your life. Your head would come off your shoulders. You never approach the king without the king first raising his scepter and inviting you to the throne. She walks right in and says, it's not right what's being done to my people. She had no fear. She was wild. She put her life in her hand. In other words, this is the year. We talked about her beauty, but could it be this would be the year that God's going to use your talents, your art, your expression, in a way of no fear that's going to get people's attention, that's going to be bring freedom to your family or freedom to others, she wasn't afraid to approach the king. By the way, sometimes the only good that comes out of being trained by those with bad behaviors or those that will teach you fearful things is that you now know what not to do. Amen? Sometimes you look back, I don't know what that was all about, man. It was just a terrible time in my life. But now you know what you're not supposed to do. We need some believers that will stand strong in the face of fear and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and be courageous. Be strong and be thou courageous. The Bible, he says, I command you to be strong and to be courageous. In other words, be fearless. Not that you don't have fear, but in the face of fear, you've made up your mind. You're going to walk this walk of faith until it is completed. Somebody say amen. Number five, wild horses have not been corralled by men. John the Baptist was a wild horse. 
He was one that did his thing that God told him to do. He went to the River Jordan. He had his own ministry. People didn't understand what was even going on. Yet the masses were coming to him and his ministry was water baptism for the remission of sin because it was what is between no more sacrifices in the altar at the altar and it was between the sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ who was, his co- was in fact his cousin that he would as a prophet prophesy and say, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He was, he, Jesus was completely um, covered. Nobody, he was veiled. Nobody saw that till John prophesied it, right? This was his ministry. He was a wild man. The Bible says he wore camel's hair. Theologians said he wore it inside out. In other words, the bristles were making him uncomfortable all the time. He did not live a life of comfort. He ate wild honey, the Bible says, and locusts. I don't know what a locust tastes like, but I can imagine it ain't good. This was his diet. And he would go to that river and he would, he would preach about the coming Messiah. This was his message. And he would preach the, that you had to be baptized for the remission of your sin. It was what God was using as an act of mercy before the sacrifice came. He was wild. The Sanhedrin council, they couldn't rein him in, if I use that term. There you go. Couldn't rein him in. Couldn't, couldn't get him to bite the, 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 onto the, 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 um, the bridle and, and, and control him. He lived according to what God wanted him to do. I'm not saying this message is a message to get Christians to be rebellious, to go do their own thing. Certainly domesticated horses have an incredible place uh, to, uh, to play within an army or with any other source or, or on a farm, wherever they may be. Of course they do. But I'm just telling you that God's bringing in wild horses that are gonna be going, we're gonna look at them and go, oh, we need to put a saddle on them, but I don't think we need to. I think we need to make sure that they just say, okay, we say God's with you, go win the soul, bring them into the house of God, we'll train them you go do you bring them in here come on somebody and we'll get them saved and delivered and set free and trained is this making sense to anybody John said to the king this is how wild of a horse he was John King Herod comes by one day to tell him he's not doing right and uh, he kind of halfway liked John but John had no problem setting him straight. You know, a true prophet of God, a wild horse, if you will, would be one who knows he's supposed to speak truth to power, not to be a friend to the politician. And he spoke to him and said, Herod, what you're doing is wrong. The woman that sits by your side right now that you are shacked up with and sleep with is your brother Philip's wife, and it is a disgrace to the nation. He spoke to Herod, and so when the time came, for that female to say, I want the head of, of John the Baptist, it wasn't that hard of a thing for Herod to do because Herod had a love-hate relationship with John because he was sick and tired of John telling him things that he was doing wrong. We need believers who will not allow themselves to be corralled and compromise the truth of God's word in this next year. Number six, wild horses maneuver by instinct as they've not been trained by men. Jesus, in all due respect, was a wild horse. He was like that. He knew who he was at the age of 12 because he was not trained just by parents. He was trained by God Almighty. Jesus didn't play along to get along. Jesus said and did what the Father told him to say and to do and did nothing more and nothing less than those things. This is how he lived his life. He was being trained from the Father. He didn't just team up 
Come on, y'all, catch the analogy. With anybody or just anybody, uh, any religious leader, especially the religious side of his day, he didn't do that. He called them whited sepulchers. He called them blind leaders of the blind. He called them twice as much the sons of hell. He called them liars. He called them hypocrites. This is how he spoke. He spoke the, He spoke truth to power with authority and an anointing, and they, he could not be stopped. That's why they wanted to kill him. He was wild. Not to us, but to them. Number seven, wild horses have a much stronger sense of survival than domesticated horses. Why? They live it every day. There's nobody with a hand feeding them. There's nobody putting them into a nice warm barn at night. In other words, they just don't give up that easily. They're not ones that say, well, I guess it's hard. I guess we just lay down here and die. We don't know what to do. Because horses have been taught to, to rely upon man for every need that they have. So to set a horse free to live, uh, to live on their own in the wild would be pretty much telling that horse you're going to die soon because they don't have those skills. They've not been taught those things. They've been taught by man. But a wild horse has that instinct to survive. To do what they're supposed to do. Job was like that kind of a wild horse. Job, think about him. How the Bible said he became sick. He lost his money. He lost his children to death and destruction. And he was living a very terrible life. And even his wife and his friends said, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just let this go? But he was hanging on and hanging on and hanging on until it was upsetting his family and his friends. They had something to say about it. But he just wouldn't let go. Like a wild horse, he's going to survive. He says, I know God is faithful. I know God will not leave me in this place. Can you say the same thing this year? 22 does not have to be like 23. You just have to change your mindset. We need some believers that are prepared to go all the way with God. They won't give up. They won't cave in. And they're not going to quit. No matter what it looks like this year, you're going to keep a smile on your face. Come on, somebody, and get excited about where you're going. Number eight, wild horses, this is my final point here, wild horses are less polished but are stronger and more sure-footed than the domesticated horse. In fact, you may not know this, I didn't know it either, but uh, a wild horse has stronger legs than a domesticated horse only because of how they have to live. They live in the hills. They, live on, they have to walk on crags and try to find like, like, like those billy goats you see that are on the sides of mountains. Maybe not that bad, but they've got to, they've got to, find, they've got to be sure-footed or they could fall off the side of a cliff, right? They're not being led by anybody. And so they're stronger as a result of it and more sure-footed. Peter was a wild horse. Study Peter. Study the apostle, your great apostle Peter, praise God. He was saved, but if you made him mad, he pulled a knife on you. In fact, he did pull a knife on a guy and cut his ear off one time. And he'll cuss you out. But is he saved? Yeah, he's saved. God's still working with him. He's got some issues. He's a wild man. Church, aren't you sick of the polished preaching of the modern day preachers? Filled with antidotes but lacking anointing. Pontificating on premises but lacking power on the promises. I want a man or woman of God that will grab a hold of the proverbial horns of the altar and pray with passion. Not a polished preacher with a manicured nails and a gold watch. Praise God. Cover that up for you. There, you don't like that. Or a Gucci handbag. Somebody say amen. I don't want you looking the part. I want you to be the man of God. I want you to be the woman of God. 
Church, beginning this year, 2023, God is going to use those who have not been bridled by the control of man. He's going to give his authority to those who have not been broken in by man's traditional ways. It's not that he's not going to use the others. It's that he's going to use them too, and we've got to get prepared for that. He's placed his anointing on those who have not been saddled by religion. He's choosing those who have not been corralled by the limitation of man's thinking. God and God alone is going to ride these wild apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and believers and bring us. He's going to bring, he's going to shake things up with them and bring a sweeping revival all over the world. Somebody say amen. Amen. Part two is going to take just a minute, just a second. Part two of what I sense God is saying and doing is for right here in our church, although I believe this is prophetic, for every church, so you take it as you may, I believe God is wanting to resuscitate, resurrect, and restore his idea of the family. There has been a direct assault against the family that God intended from the very beginning, an attack on our children, an attack on marriage. Look, if you want to break society, all you have to do is break apart the family and society will break. And the enemy is doing a pretty good job so far. Somebody's got to stand up and start telling the truth and, at, and then start telling the church, we've got to walk a certain kind of way. Even if they laugh at us, we've got to tell the truth and walk it. Family is the glue that holds society together. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if it's a Christian family or a heathen family. If they're a good family, it brings society into a good place. Because it is a picture of what God ultimately intended. God blesses what he intends. What he purposes. Even if they know not God, he'll bless it because they're doing what he wants. In the last five years, we have seen this social experiment of challenging and destroying all social constructs actually rip the very fabric of our society. It has begun to be torn. I'm not saying it's ripped in two, but it has been torn. Anger and confusion uh, like we've never seen before. Mostly confusion, I'll be honest. Confusion can bring areas of frustration and anger. So a lot of confusion that's going on. And I'm tired of it. And I'm telling you, I'm, I, was, I was with, with the men. We were praying, elders. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, this year, I want you to deal in the area of the family. Bring it back into order. I want to restore. I want to res resuscitate. I want to resurrect the family. And I'll bless it. I'll bless the church. I'll bless the families. I'll bless the people. You say, well, I don't have a family. Everybody comes from a family. We all have, everything's family. And if you don't have a family yet, but you want one, you're going to have one. So you've got to know how to have a family. A husband and a wife. Between a man and a woman. I should have got a lot more amens. Y'all too scared to talk like that anymore? Come on, you chickens. Stand up and be loud about it. They'll persecute you. That's all right. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. The truth will set you free. I saw this was posted by one of our news outlets. And I thought, this is craziness, man. I read it in my head, went, mm -hmm. It's like, uh-huh. Transgender man gives birth to non-binary partner's baby with a female sperm donor. If 
If I say it again, maybe you'll get it. Transgender man gives birth to a non-binary partner's baby with a female sperm donor. And Scooby-Doo used to say, huh? What is going on? So let me translate for you. Basically what it is, is two women who think they're men that have gone through some of the change to become a man, but all, all the change, want to have a baby. But they look and dress like men. They got a haircut just like mine. Even some facial hair. And they wear boy clothes. But they're still a woman. How do you know? Because they got a sperm donor who was a man. And then pulled the egg out of one of the women who thinks they're a man. But we know they're a woman because they have an egg. Made the baby with that in the test tube or however they do that kind of stuff. And then they put it in the other woman who thinks she's a man. Even without the terms, that's weird. People have lost their, and then we celebrate them and we put them on Time Magazine and we say how brave they are. No, it's not brave, it's demonic. It's of the devil. I said it's of the devil. Pastor, you talk like you hate them. No, I don't hate them. I love them enough to tell them the truth. And they think that's going to make them happy. It's not going to make them happy because they're always going to have a dissatisfaction no matter what they do. It's always going to be inside of them because they can't be who they're called to be. If you're born a woman, you're a woman. You're born a man, you're a man. That's it. Well, I feel like a woman or I feel like a man. My son felt like a dinosaur when he was four years old too. Thank God he grew out of it. And so they're trying to be a family. And I have a heart. I understand the desire. I get it. And they're trying to work with their issues to make it work out a certain kind of way, but it won't work. And then you're telling the whole wide world, we got to change all of our vocabulary because of what, 1%, a half percent of people on the earth? It's ridiculous. Especially when you know it's nonsense. You just know it's just craziness. Amen. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have seen that over and over these last four, five, six years like we've never seen before. It's been a lot longer than that, but I'm saying it's intensified. Amen. In Proverbs 1.8, and I, I'm concluding here, we see the construct of the family. I'm not preaching about family because I'm going to be teaching on it for a while to come. We're going to be dealing with this throughout the year. It'll be different places here and there, but we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. Proverbs 1.8 says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. That little verse right there tells you all you need to know. This is the family construct. This is how God does it. He puts a man and a woman, a father and a mother, to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you got children that aren't serving God, but you trained them up the way they should have been, trained up when they were kids, then don't you be condemned about it. You hold on to your promise. They will not depart. Are they old yet? No, they're not old yet. You, you got to remember, God will still get a hold of them when he needs to. Am I right about it? Amen. So here's the deal. 
I want to I wanna just let you know, God's doing something great in this next year. And I'm being real careful and cautious because it's still going to require our faith, you know. We still got to walk it out by faith, amen? So today, your assignment is to go home and share this on Facebook. Get people to know you're watching right now. Share it, man. Whether they say smash that share button or like button or whatever it is and get it out there because people need to hear it so that we can get behind and start moving this direction go over those eight points and then remember god for us is going to deal with the family we are my wife and i are super excited about this we can't wait to express more what we want to do but we just we just know it's time for us to start doing this in our church so get ready for it amen amen how many's ready to give your tithe and your offering to the king today let's bless the lord Ushers, if you come forward, place the offering buckets, if you would, on the, on the uh, platform. This is our first uh, time to give in the new year, so this is very important. First fruits to be given in the first, um, the first day of the first year. It worked out pretty good, Sunday morning. First day of the first year, uh, new year, and we're pretty excited about that. So you can give uh, that way by the envelope in front of you or by the, your telephone or whatever device you have. Go to myfaithbuilders.com slash give, myfaithbuilders.com slash give. You can give that way as well. Um, we're excited about it. We had a great year last year. We're excited about this year as well. Amen. Okay, praise God. Uh, one more thing before I forget, because we're going to say we're going to say our confession together before we leave, and that is this: is that um, we're going to start. Our, we're going to start our um, fast tomorrow morning, and we will end on the twenty second of this month. So that'll be twenty one days in total. So Sunday, the first Sunday, the twenty second. Um, will be our, our, our 21 day run. So we got, we got prayer this, uh, coming. It's actually our, prefer- it really is a church service. I mean, it actually is a service because there's so much. I, I teach, I, uh, prophesy, we pray, we sing praise and worship. It's, it's, but it's a little more, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's stronger. It's a lot stronger. Um, but you need to come, come this Thursday. Let's get this t- done together, um, as a church, as a team. Amen and amen. All right, stand to your feet if you would. Praise the Lord. You know, if you're here today and you're without Jesus, you can not be. <laughs> you can know him as your personal Lord and Savior today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today and you want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you want to come back to him, I want you to pray this prayer. If you're watching me right now, this prayer is for you as well. You can say it after me. Everybody say, Dear Lord Jesus, today I'm asking, come into my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Be my Lord, my Savior, my best friend. I truly believe that you died for me and that God raised you from the dead. Today I'm asking, be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And he'll do it just like that. That prayer is so easy until a little child can understand and get it. You are born again. Now start acting like it. If you don't have a church, come to this church. It'll be your church. I'll be your pastor. And we're grateful to have you. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and pray our confession together over our giving today. Ready, read. Father, we give our tithe and offering in order for our church to continue to preach the gospel of your son. Your word says that when we give, it'll be given back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Therefore, we are blessed. We have more than enough to meet our every need, and our church is blessed with more than enough to fulfill the vision you've given us. Receive our offering today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise about it this morning. Did you enjoy it? How many wild horses do we have? Come on, crazy.